continue the series through the book of Ephesians today. Last week we talked about Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10 on the gospel of Jesus Christ and we're calling the theme of our study through the book of Ephesians lifestyles. You know what? I shouldn't even tell I should quiz you now cuz this is week number 5 and I gave you part of it already. Who wants to shout out our theme? It's not on the slide so you can't cheat. Okay. Notice that both closest said it, and Dan said it with an accent. It's because it's a play. Oh, was it you? Oh, I thought Jerry said it. But Dan said it in the accent because it's a play off the adult show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. So two points for that one. That is our theme, Lifestyles of the Rich and Godly. And our lesson today is going to be from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, called One Family in Christ. Join us there in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to read the text here in a minute, but I have a question like I typically do. Do you do things that prove you're related to your family? Is there anything that you do that just proves you're related to the people who are your parents or your siblings, things like that? Well, many of you know the walkers. Unfortunately, you've unable to dodge that. You get to know a lot of walkers, but there are some things that I do that I've noticed over the course of my life that I really can't dodge because I'm a walker. Now, there's general things that everybody likes to do. Most guys like to do. I like making people laugh. Hopefully, you guys have known that. I try every week to make you laugh a little bit. Um, I like that. I've always liked making people laugh. I like eating. Who doesn't like eating? Everyone likes eating, right? That's why we have so many luncheons. We love eating. I like watching sports. Uh, but those aren't things that are specific to walkers. A lot of people would fall into those categories. But here are some things that I do simply because I'm a walker. I don't like change. Anyone else not like change? Anyone struggle with change? I'm glad to know there's a few out there. I'm a creature of habit, just like my dad is. Dad and I, we, once we find a routine, we stick with it for the rest of our lives. Um, I just don't like change a lot. I'm not kind of person that's trying to tweak and change everything in my life. Once I find a groove, I stay in that groove for a long time. I'm also not sentimental. Anyone else not sentimental? I, I'm just not sentimental. I know. I'm, I'm probably in a very rare category, but my mom is the same way. She's not sentimental. I'm kind of the opposite of a hoarder. I love throwing stuff out. I look for reasons <laughs> to get rid of stuff. I'm the kind of guy, and this is going to really make me sound bad, but if someone writes me a nice, sweet card, like a birthday card, I'll read it, I'll be touched by the words, and then I'll be like, throw it away in the garbage. And Jeanine will be like, you can't throw that away. Someone took the time to write that. I'm like, well, how long do I have to keep it? <laughs> Three weeks. I think we've come over to the three weeks you keep it, then you throw it away. I'm just not sentimental. In fact, I'm sentimental about the fact that I'm not sentimental, but I'm not. I just don't feel anything that way. I just, I, I move on. Uh, I do like pictures of my children. I guess that's one way that I'm sentimental. I like looking back at my children. But I'm also not outdoorsy. Walkers, we like the outdoors. It's not to say we don't like the outdoors. We love the outdoors, but we don't need to go camping. <laughs> We're not going to rough it. We're just not. We're going to live off the land. Now, I do like watching other people do it. I like hearing stories of people going camping, but I, I don't know. It's, just, it's not that I never would go camping. I just don't have to do it. I don't have to think about that kind of thing. If we're going to go and enjoy the outdoors, you know what we want. We want a nice hotel paired with that so we can tuck inside and you know, have all the comforts of home and stuff like that. You notice one I've noticed lately that I do that I, do, that I was really annoyed that my mom did growing up? I make up songs. I do, with my children. I make up songs all the time. And Janine notices. And I used to hate that about my mom. I used to be like, Mom, those aren't the words, you know? And I don't know if my mom was actually making up a song or she literally thought those were the words. But she would make up songs all the time. And now I find myself doing it too. And my kids, guess what they're saying? 
Dad, those aren't the words. Those aren't the words. And I do that just because I'm a walker. Here's another one. I think I've mentioned this several times already, but I have no handyman skills whatsoever. I just don't. This is why I preach. You know, those who can't do preach. So that's why I preach, because um, I don't have any handyman skills. And Dad, you weren't handed a lot. You didn't hand me a lot, unfortunately. So we preach. We tell other people what to do. <laughs> I'm just teasing. But are there things that you do in your life that you do simply because you're related to people that also do those things? Well, we're going to talk about one family in Christ today. Our goal is to get through 11, uh, verses 11 to 22, but it is a long passage, I will tell you that. And I'm going to make no promises and guarantees today, okay? We are going through Ephesians. If we need to stop today in order to just, you know, have, have enough to handle, then we're going to do that, and we're going to pick up next week. But follow me along in Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22. I do want to read the entire text and see where Paul is going to take us today. So follow along with your, with your Bible. In verses 11, he says this, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are also, excuse me, in him also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Today we're going to talk about one family in Christ. We're going to talk about these three things. These are our three goals that we want to get to today. Goal number one is to see that we non-Jews, we're going to use a word today called Gentiles, and we will explain what that means. Goal number one is to see that we non-Jews should greatly appreciate our adoption into the family of God. We will explain that. That's goal number one. Goal number two is to see that faith in Christ is all that matters, and it matters greatly. Goal number three is to strive for unity within the body of Christ for one common goal, the glory and the will of God. Those are the three goals we hope to get to today. Again, I can't guarantee we will get to them all, but that's what we're going to try to do today. We need to understand this. Goal number one is that Gentiles were adopted into God's family. In Scripture, you see these two groups of people, okay? You see Jews and Gentiles. Now, Jews, you might expect, are people from Israel, people that grew up in the Jewish faith. Gentiles is everyone else. Everyone that is not a natural Israelite, everyone that is not a natural Jew, falls under the category of Gentile. Or sometimes the Bible will use the word Greek, Jew and Greek. But Gentile really is anyone that is non-Jewish. I think for the most part, everyone in here is non-Jewish, if I understand that correctly which means we're all Gentiles. In the Ephesians church, and as, as I did some of the background, 
Most of them were Gentiles. Most of them were. So the, the context that Paul is writing to is people like that. People that didn't grow up with the Jewish faith. People that came to Christ after that. Once Jesus came, once the message of the gospel came, these people believed. And they were, as we're going to see here in a little bit, they were adopted into the family of God. I want to read verses 11 to 12 once again. Listen to what he says. Excuse me. Verses 11 and 12 says this, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Gentiles were what Jews called the uncircumcision. The uncircumcision, that's the term they gave for Gentiles, and that was a derogatory term. They were uncircumcised, and that's what the Jews call them, uncircumcised, the uncircumcision, because they were physically uncircumcised. I mean, it's that simple. The Jews had this outward form that I'm not going to explain what circumcision is. If you want to know, look it up, ask your parent. I'm not going to get into that today, but most of us know what that is. And the Jews had this outward form that they were guided to by the Old Testament law that they were to be circumcised on the eighth day. Paul himself, who was writing this letter, grew up in that. He was circumcised, a Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day. But the Jews had this term that they used for the Gentiles called the uncircumcision, kind of looking down on them to say, see, you're not God's people. You're not God's people. You're uncircumcised. And although the Jews were the natural people of God, they foolishly believed that it was outward forms of religion that mattered most to God. And if you know anything about Scripture, God doesn't care that much about outward forms in religion. What does he care about? He cares about the heart. So just like you see in Scripture, there's two forms of things. There's a physical form and then there's a spiritual form. That also works with circumcision. There's a physical form of circumcision, but there's also an inward form of circumcision. And the Jews, some of them had the outward form only. The circumcision that... Paul is going to talk about that's most important is the redeemed heart. Circumcision set you apart. It was a symbol that you belong to God. But even beyond physical circumcision is a spiritual circumcision. It's a redeemed heart. It's based on faith in Christ. It's a cleansing of your heart. And that inward circumcision was always supposed to be the most important form. But the Jews kind of fell into this this camp where they looked down upon the Gentiles and said, see, you're not physically circumcised. God doesn't love you. You're not God's people. Because they knew the Old Testament traditions, the Gentiles didn't matter. They didn't even know the Old Testament law. So they didn't follow it. And the Jews looked down on them. They called them the uncircumcision. And the Gentiles were uncircumcised. They were in two fashions. Before Christ came, they were physically uncircumcised and they were spiritually uncircumcised. So the Jews, in a sense, were right. They weren't God's people. Not naturally. In the flesh, they weren't circumcised, and before Jesus came to them, they didn't have the inward circumcision at all. But the Jews were also wrong because they honestly thought that the outward manifestation of circumcision was all that mattered. If you were circumcised, you were God's people. If you weren't, you weren't. And obviously, we know after looking at the scripture that that was always supposed to be a symbol of something greater, something inward. And the Jews were wrong in thinking that the Gentiles were not going to be loved by God because of those outward forms of religion. But it's also true that Gentiles were not the natural people of God. We weren't. We weren't. We aren't natural Israelites. Jesus is the king of Israel. 
right? David was the king of Israel. Remember the Israelites back in the Old Testament? You were either an Israelite or you were not. God either fought for you as an Israelite or he fought against you because you were not an Israelite. Well, now we have this inward circumcision. And this inward circumcision allows people that weren't natural Jews and Israelites to become adopted into God's family, where God sees them as inward spiritual Israelites. The outward form doesn't matter as much to God. He is more concerned with the heart. So Jesus is the king of Israel. But Israel means more than just people who were born in Israel or people who grew up in the Jewish faith. As we're going to learn, it means people who trust in Jesus. If you trust in Jesus, your heart has been circumcised. You are redeemed. You do have exactly what God expects you to have as a person that he loves and has a covenant relationship with. Well, so we need to know that. Paul is, that can be confusing language if we don't understand what Paul is talking about. So the Gentiles were adopted. I don't know if anyone has been adopted here, but been adopted. The Gentiles, the people group, we were adopted into God's family. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But that's a unique relationship we have with our God because we weren't his natural children. I wasn't Israelite. I wasn't Jewish. Neither were you. But we, now we are in God's family because of God's love. We talked about that last week. God's love is the only reason you and I have this circumcised heart. The only reason we have redemption. And what is the one qualifier for that? Faith in Jesus. As we're going to learn, that makes two people group into one. Faith in Christ or not. And Paul desperately wanted God's people, the Gentiles especially, to appreciate the union we have in Jesus Christ. He wanted them to appreciate that. He wanted them to be grateful and to be thankful for what they have in Jesus Christ because if they really truly appreciate it, they're going to be motivated to strive after God's will and God's glory. And that's the point. He wants them motivated. He wants them to understand how great this thing is that they've received. This adoption should blow our minds. Because there was a time that we're going to learn here in a little bit, we were not God's people. We were far off from God. And now we're in God's family. Praise Jesus. So he wants them to appreciate it. And if you remember from last week, verses 1 to 10, Paul basically said this. He said, listen, this is your spiritual resume before Christ came to you. You were dead in your sins. You followed the devil. You followed the course of this world. You were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, that's not the end of the passage, is it? Because he says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. You kind of see the same parallel here in this passage. In verses 11 to 22, Paul reveals to us why we should appreciate our life with Christ. Because we were once dead. We were once without any spiritual life whatsoever. And we were once awaiting God's wrath. And if you notice, in verse, let's see here, in verse 13, verse 14, I believe. Verse 13, I had it right before. Listen to what he says. You remember verse 4, where it said, but God? Look at verse 13. But now, but now. At one time you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers and, and uh, aliens to the covenants of promise. And you had no hope, and you were without God in the world. Now, if you put a period there, it's pretty depressing. But he doesn't. Because he says, but now. But now in Christ Jesus. And this is what Paul wants them to appreciate. So they're motivated to love the Lord. They're motivated to live the life God had always created them to live. We have to understand these things. 
If we think this is no big deal, then we're not going to live for God. We're not going to live for his will and his glory. But if we're blown away by the fact that once we were dead, once we were far off from God, and now we're alive, and now we're in his family, guess what will happen? We will greatly appreciate that. We will be motivated to live for Christ. He doesn't want this church taking it for granted. You ever take something for granted? Right? I mean, all of us should raise our hand. We've all taken things for granted at some time. I told you this before, but I think I take health for granted. This is usually the time of year when people start getting sick, right? And you start, you start taking that for granted. But when you, when you get sick, you start to realize how good it is to be healthy. And when you're taking your health for granted, sometimes you don't utilize your health. You just act like you're always going to be healthy. And when you're sick, what do you do? You want to get healthy so you can do a thousand things that you weren't doing before. Well, Paul wanted them to be motivated and not taking for granted their adoption into God's family. So he needs the non-Jews, the Gentiles in the Ephesians church, to understand a few things. That they were once apart from God. Apart from God. They were once far from where they are today. And one, one more time, I'm going to read what he says. He says, you were separated from Christ, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Have you ever been separated from someone you love? It's brutal. It is. It's hard. It's hard. I, whether it's a legal separation or it's just time away from someone you love, it's hard. God has experienced that separation from us. We have experienced that separation from our God. Paul says it clearly. You were at one time separated from your Lord Jesus. I want, you to hit, I want that to hit you today. At one time, you were not with your Lord Jesus. He was not your Lord. He was not your master. He was not your Savior. You had no relationship with him at one time. And now you're close. Now you're near. Now you're intimate with that Lord. But we were strangers to God. We were strangers to God's promises. God had all these wonderful promises, and you and I were not taking advantage of them. They weren't for us. We weren't his people. We were apart from Christ. But he also wants us to know today that in Christ, both Jews and Gentiles are a part of God's one family. We went from being entirely hopeless to the most blessed souls imaginable. And the one thing that changed that, the one person that changed that, was the Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't make myself close to God. I didn't make myself a part of his family. I didn't write God and say, God, I'd really love it if you loved me for the rest of time. No, Christ came to my soul and made me alive. And same for you. For a time, only the natural Jews, the Israelites, were God's people. We can see that laced throughout the Old Testament. It was the Israelites. Israelites. Israelites were God's people. But as you read the rest of Scripture, you can tell that that was not God's long-term plan. God's long-term plan was for Jew and Gentile alike to be his family. Because it says, if you remember chapter 1, speaking to the Gentile church here in Ephesians, he says, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Does that sound like God made it up along the way? Does it? To me, it sounds like God had always known it was going to be this way, had always planned that Gentiles were going to be a part of his family. But the Jews didn't know that. They, they lost sight of God's plan. They started to get this entitlement, this elitism, to say that we are God's people and everyone else is the uncircumcision. And so Paul wanted the Jews to recognize that the Gentiles are now God's family, 
just like they are, and they wanted the Gentiles to appreciate this one standing they have with God based on the adoption. So the Gentiles needed to know that they could needed to know this so they could appreciate what they now have in Christ. And here's four things that we now have based on this adoption we have in Christ Jesus. Closeness and intimacy with Jesus. And don't overlook that. Remember, you were far off from Christ. You were strangers to Christ. There was a God. There was a Savior. There was a Lord. But you didn't know him. Do you remember that time in your life? Do you remember that time where you were away from Jesus? He existed. He was loving people, but you weren't a part of that. And now we can have closeness and intimacy with that Lord Jesus. Is that a blessing to you today? To be a part of that, to be close with your Lord, to not just know some facts about Jesus, not just pass a test based on how did Jesus live or what was Jesus like, but to know him intimately. I hope every single one of us knows what that is like and says that amen to that today because Christ Jesus is my Lord and it's very personal. I have a personal, intimate relationship with my Jesus, and it's all to his credit. Next, adoption into God's family. We have not adopted a child. We have six of our own. We are very good at having our own children, but um, some people adopt other children, and I've heard from those people that it's a really special thing, that when they adopt someone who is not their child, you know what they do? They give them the same primary love they give their other children. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that someone who is not your natural child could get your special primary love anyways? That's really why adoption is so special. Because you welcome someone into your family and say to that child, child, you're mine, I'm yours. I will love you with my primary special love just, I lo just like I love my natural children. God does that for the Gentiles. Were we deserving of that? No, we were not. I was not a natural Israelite. I was not a Jew. And I was dead in my sins just like you. But God adopted me anyway, and he said, Todd, for the rest of time, I'm yours and you're mine. I will love you with my special primary love. Not only that, we get eternal hope and security beyond the grave. At one time, we were orphans. We were fatherless spiritually. We were homeless. We were hopeless. And now we are in God's family, and we have eternal hope and security beyond the grave. See, that's the part that the world doesn't yet know. Everything that is good that the world has passes them. They lose it. They lose their grip on it. And it's in the rearview mirror all of a sudden. They have to look back on it, going, you know, remember all the memories? Remember all the good things we have? Remember, I wish we could stay back. I wish we could linger there. I wish we could go back to those days. Not Christians. The best is yet to come. The eternal hope and security we have beyond the grave motivates us every single day. To not chase the petty things of this world, but to live for the glory and the will of God because of the hope, because of the security we have beyond the grave. We have that in Jesus, and that's the only way we have it. And on the other hand, he wanted the Jews to know that the Gentiles are now a part of God's plan and family. He wanted the Jews to remove the stigma that Gentiles are foreigners and strangers to God. Not anymore. Not anymore. Both Jews and Gentiles, if they're in Christ, that is the one prerequisite, are all a part of God's one family. Fleshly, outward, religious marks don't matter to God as much as a heart that has been made clean and longs to serve our Lord Jesus. Is that your heart today? Has your heart been redeemed? Has it been circumcised? Has it been set apart? 
has it been specially made new so that you can love your Lord Jesus? Do you have that inward cleansing? Do you have that inward change? That is a must. If you do, you are a part of God's family, and it will always be so. Do you appreciate your adoption into God's family? That's question number one today. Because we weren't supposed to be here. If the Jews had lived correctly, and yes, God had a plan because he knew that wasn't going to happen, but if the Jews had lived correctly, there's no place for the Gentiles. You can find that in Romans chapter 11. The, Jew, the Jews acted in disbelief for a long time. And God eventually broke their position off and gave us their chair, gave us their position. Gentiles were grafted into the natural vine and tree of God through adoption. Do you appreciate that position you have in Christ today? It's nothing you warranted. It's nothing you deserved. It's nothing you attained for. It was a gift. We've learned that from Ephesians 2 over and over. God adopted you because of his great mercy and his great love. That's number one, is to appreciate this adoption we have as Gentiles into God's Israelite Jewish family. Amen to that. Number two is this fact. It's only Jesus. The thing that separates the Christians from every other religion is this fact right here. It is only, always, Jesus. And Paul goes over this for the rest of the passage. He doesn't want us foggy at all. He knows the Ephesians are walking in faith in Christ. He knows they have love for all the saints, but he wants to remind them once again, it's only Jesus. Paul says this phrase similar to the phrasing in verse 4, but God, he says, but now, meaning something has happened that has changed the course of Gentile souls forever. Someone has come to our rescue. Who is that? It's the Lord Jesus. We were cut off. We were without God. We were without his fatherly love. We were without any hope at all. But Christ Jesus came to us. God wanted to embrace the Gentiles as his children. I hope you know that about God. This wasn't pity. God truly wanted to embrace us as his children. That's why he sent Jesus. To redeem us. To bring us back into his family so he could love us. We were once far off. But now we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How were we redeemed? Not only did Jesus come, he spilled his blood so that you and I could be adopted into God's family. That had better be special to us. That had better motivate us. If that has become cold in our hearts, we really are far off from where we need to be. That needs to be special every single day. Jesus came for me Jesus spilled his blood for me because otherwise I would remain far off from God. Otherwise I would remain a stranger to God's promises. And now I've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you see how we regain this relationship with God? How did we gain this relationship with God? Do you see why it's always Jesus? Do you see why we proclaim Jesus every single week? He is it. He is everything. Do you see why we must believe in and follow our Jesus? Are you clear on this? Is Jesus your Lord? Is he your Savior? Is he your passion in life? I think if you don't understand this, he will never be that. But if you really, truly understand this, Jesus will be all three. He will be your Savior, he will be your Lord, and he will be your passion. He will drive every thought and intention you have. And that's why Paul is telling this to the Ephesians. He wants them deeper. 
into the things of God. He wants them more, more greatly and more speedily chasing the will and the glory of God. So he needs them to understand their position. You once weren't, you now are. You once were dead, you're now alive. You once were hopeless, you now have hope beyond the grave. And it's all because of the blood of Jesus. You see, if the Son of God died for us, it proves two things. If the Lord Jesus, God's only begotten Son, died for us, it proves two things. Number one, there was no other way. If there was any other way under creation for us to be redeemed and for us to be back with our God, God would have done that. The fact that he sent Jesus, his precious only begotten Son, should prove to us there was no other way for you and I to be redeemed. There was no other way for you and I to be adopted. Jesus had to die. And it also proves this, that if we neglect Jesus, we are doomed. He would not have killed his son, sacrificed his son, and then said, oh well, oh you didn't believe, you didn't follow Jesus, you neglected Jesus, you found your own way, that's fine too. No, it's only Jesus. He paid this salvation at such a cost. This adoption cost God the most it could ever cost him. Imagine that. To adopt someone into your family, you had to sacrifice one of your own. Not just one of your own, your most precious son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he did. Because he wanted his Gentile people with him forever. So is Jesus crucial to your soul? Is he crucial for your daily life I want you to take your Bibles and go to Matthew 13. This is our one flip today. Matthew 13. I've read this before. These are parables that Christ gives us. They're the shortest parables in all of Scripture. Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. I think about these a lot. And I want you to think about Jesus as I read these. Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all he has and buys the field. Verse 45, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. Who is the treasure hidden in the field? It's Jesus. Now, don't take this too literally. No one can buy Jesus. But we can follow him. We can follow him. And the man in the first parable finds treasure hidden in a field. And what does he do? In his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys the field. Why would anyone do that? Why would anyone sell every single possession they have in order to buy some field? Because of the value of the treasure. Do you get it? Jesus is that treasure. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. This time a guy's looking for fine pearls. Who, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. Why would anyone do that? Because the pearl is so valuable. Who is the pearl? It's Jesus. Do you see that Gentile? Do you see that Jesus is the treasure in the field? He's the pearl of great value. And without Jesus Christ, you have no hope at all. 
And with Jesus Christ, you have every single one of God's promises. You have God's special fatherly love for the rest of time. You have his power. You have his protection. You have his care. You have his compassion. You have his forgiveness forever. But make sure, make sure you treat Jesus properly. Because there's no reason for Jesus to die unless there was any other way. And if we neglect Jesus, we are doomed. Paul tells us this. He says, Jesus himself is our peace. Jesus himself is our peace. Meaning that Jesus is the gift. Jesus is God's gift. He's not just the salvation that he offers. We get Jesus. We get Jesus. I don't just get the salvation and he says, all right, see you later. Enjoy your salvation. No. I needed something greater than that even. I needed the Savior. And so did you. Jesus is the author of salvation and we get every blessing from God through Jesus. But we don't just get the blessings, people. We get an intimate, covenant, eternal relationship with the one through whom all blessings flow. Is that special to you today? I mean, the gift is enough, right? The salvation is enough. Or is it? Would you rather have an intimate covenant relationship with the one through whom all blessings flow? I would. I would. I'm thankful for that. I get to know that Jesus. That I get to call that Jesus my Lord. The one who owns the keys to the gates of heaven. The one whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord forever. That Jesus is my friend, my Savior, my Lord, and my bridegroom. And he is yours as well if you believe in him. The other day I went to my wife's Instagram account. I was looking at her pictures from the past. I, like, I told you, that's the one way I'm sentimental. I look looking at past pictures of my children. And I noticed in her little bio, her little Instagram bio, some of you know what I'm talking about. It said in her Instagram bio, bri- it said this, it said, wife of Todd M. Walker. I wasn't shocked by that, but I was touched by that. Because Janine thought it important enough to tell other people that she's privileged to be my wife. Do you know what our bios can say? Bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that special? Is that unique? Jesus taught us about marriage, that marriage is one flesh. It's two becoming one. And when those two become one, they cannot be separated because God brought them together. You can't separate them when God brings them together. Well, Marriage represents a greater marriage. It represents a union we have with Jesus Christ. And Romans 8 tells us, who can separate us from the Lord Jesus? Who can? Can powers? Can principalities? Can anything separate us from the Lord Jesus Christ? Nothing can. Nothing can. Let them try. They cannot. Because Jesus Christ has made us one with him forever. What a blessing. You see, Jesus spilled his blood for you, and because of that fact, he's never going to let you go. Never going to let you go. Do you have faith in Jesus today? Do you have faith in Jesus? Because I will say this confidently, nothing else matters like this matters. Nothing. This may be one little period of your life, to come to church, to hear a sermon, to hear about Jesus, to be a little bit motivated, and then you move on to other things, other things that matter, other things that are important to you. Nothing matters like this matters. 
This is not just a pastor saying what a pastor should say, and of course he lives that way because that's his job. No, I have been adopted, and so have you, into the family of God. And the reason is, is because my Lord Jesus laid down his life. Point number three. Paul says this. He says, Christians must be unified. Must be unified. In verses 14 to 22, I looked up this word unified or united, and this is what it said. It said, joined together for a common purpose. Christians must be joined together for a common purpose. And what is that purpose? Let's be clear here today. That purpose is to accomplish God's will and God's glory through Jesus. That is the goal for every single Christian. Now, if you're a Christian, that's your goal. That's your job title. To accomplish God's will and God's glory in Jesus. But you know how we get that done? Together. Together. We have to be unified and united in that one common goal. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. And Paul stresses this for the rest of the passage. you got to be unified. You have to be unified. And he tells us how. Paul tells us how important it is for believers to be unified in Christ. And remember this phrase, in Christ, in Christ. See, unity... Other people think unity is important, too. There's, there's people out in the workforce, there's people in other religions who are chasing unity as well. But unity only matters when it's in Christ. If we overlook, if we glance over that one fact, unity doesn't matter. Because we don't have any goal, we don't have any purpose that matters in God's eyes. But if we're unified in Christ, our purpose is the greatest purpose imaginable. And our work is going to live on into eternity based on the fact that we all have the same spiritual resume before Christ saves us. Remember what I said? We were all dead in our sins. We were all following the devil. We were all children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And based on the fact that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life for every single person. Based on the fact that Jesus shed blood is the only basis for our forgiveness and right standing with God. We are one family unit. We have everything in common. Remember how he started this sermon by saying, do you have things in common with your parents and your siblings? Of course you do, right? Well, we have everything in common if we're in Christ. We were all dead. We were all made alive by Jesus. And we all stand on the forgiveness of that blood. Meaning we're one family. Regardless if you want me in your family or not, I'm in your family for the rest of time because of those things. And I want us to look at how Paul describes this work Christ has done to unite us in himself as one family. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, Christ broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Who broke it down? Christ broke it down. Jesus broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There is no more enmity between Jews and Gentiles. None should exist. They are one family unit. Or any people who belong to Christ are one family unit. There is no more wall of hostility. Jesus broke it down. He took it down. Remember when the wall was taken down in Germany? Right? They took that wall down. That wall had been up for a long time and they shattered it. That's exactly what Jesus did. He shattered this wall of hostility. No hostility should exist anymore between Christians. He put every Christian on the exact same level, pardoned and made new by the blood of Jesus. Isn't that where every Christian stands? Isn't that one thing in common for every true Christian? We've been pardoned and made new by the blood of Christ. Meaning, 
If there's hostility with us and other Christians, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. Because he broke down the wall of hostility. He has made us one family unit. And regardless if you are a natural Jew, meaning you are Jewish in the faith, you grew up in Israel, or you're an adopted Gentile like most of us are, you are a child of the living God for all of eternity. I'll be with you forever and you'll be with me forever, whether you like that or not. I am your brother. You are my brother or my sister. And it's all because of what Jesus Christ has done. He broke down this wall of hostility. And next he says in verse 15, he abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. If you know anything about the Old Testament, there was this Old Testament legal system that the Jews adhered to and everyone else did not, or at least the Jews were supposed to adhere to. And everyone else did not. And that thing sort of separated God's people and not God's people. The Jews were circumcised. The Jews had these ordinances that were expressed in the commandments like dietary restrictions and observing special days. And by doing that, they were proving to people that they were God's people and everyone else was not. And the Jews kind of held that over everyone else, like the Gentiles saying, see, you're not circumcised. You don't observe the special days. You don't have the dietary restrictions like we do. But when Jesus came, you know what he did? He abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. He took it down. He took it down. The Jews did. The, Jew, the Gentiles didn't. And the Jews felt superior because they did and the Gentiles didn't. But God took that law of commandments down. He abolished it forever. So there would no be elitism or entitlement. There would only be union in Christ. And every Jew, if they're in Christ, says the same thing. My salvation stands on what the Lord has done on my behalf. And every Gentile says the exact same thing. My salvation stands on what the Lord Jesus has done on my behalf. We are now one. God took that old system down. He abolished the law. He removed any sort of outward separation between Jews and Gentiles. Now if we're holding those things up, it's our fault because God took it down. And Jesus did this so that he could take two people groups and make them into one. And so there'd be one prerequisite. And you know why he did this? Why did he do this? Why not just include it? Faith in Jesus can just be one crucial element. Why? Why take everything else away? Why? So that it's only always Jesus. Do you see that there? No one can boast in anything else. It wasn't my background or my learned knowledge about scripture. It wasn't my circumcision or my observing special days. What is the basis of my salvation? It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. I will say that confidently and every Jewish Christian will say that confidently as well. Because God took down the Old Testament law um, observance and ordinances Therefore, there is peace and should be peace between all of God's people. Regardless of denominations, if Christ is the cornerstone, and he has to be the cornerstone, then we are all eternal brothers and sisters, and we should be helping and encouraging one another forward. And I know that's difficult. I do. I understand we have, I looked this up once, we have 41,000 denominations of Christianity. Wow. That is a lot of denominations. 41,000 different ideas of what's right in the Christian sect. And I know it's difficult. I know it's difficult to be unified as Christians because doctrine is important. It is important. 
But Paul is saying to us today, so is unity. So is unity. Doctrine at the cost of unity hurts us all because it makes us weaker. When the devil divides, he conquers. And the devil loves to divide. He loves to divide and see, see, they don't do it this way. See, they don't think this way. And Christ is the cornerstone for many Christians, for all Christians. But we see differently in this one fact. So we don't talk to that church down the block. You know, they think differently on this. And, and therefore, the unity is shattered. And I understand this. I will say this today. I don't think we're necessarily supposed to be as close to everyone as we are to some. There needs to be like-mindedness in the Christian circles. But you know what there should never be? Hostility. There should never be hostility if Christ is the cornerstone for my soul and for your soul. There should always be love. There should always be encouragement. There should always be prayer. There should always be a willingness to come together and help one another because we're stronger together. We're stronger together. And God has made one common ground for every Christian, one faith in Jesus. He says next in verse 16, he reconciled. Who reconciled? Jesus. Reconciled us both to God. Both who? Jews and Gentiles. In one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. See, we don't understand this, but for a long time there was hostility between Jews and Gentiles. They didn't get along. Even ones who said they had faith in Christ, they fought. They bickered. They looked down on each other. And Paul says, no. Jesus killed the hostility. There's no hostility anymore. It's dead. It's over. You are one family. Get along. The cross made every believer the same in God's eyes. No one is special anymore based on their background or knowledge. But we're only clean or unclean based on how we accept or reject the gospel and Christ's offering of blood. Right? So no hostility at all should exist between people who trust in Jesus as their only Savior. That person is my family and your family. There shouldn't be hostility between Christians. That's the worst kind of fighting, isn't it? The worst kind of fighting is friendly fire. The worst kind of fighting is when teammates are fighting with one another. Because the, the enemy doesn't have to do anything. He just lets them implode. He just stands back and watches them ruin themselves. Doctrinal differences, I do understand this, and I want to state this clearly. Doctrinal differences may keep us from getting very close to some. There might be, using the family as a metaphor, there might be a sibling that you're closer to than another sibling, right? There might be a parent you're closer to than another parent. But you know what there never should be in families? Hostility. You're a family. You're a family. And you know what there should never be in the Christian circles? Hostility. We might be closer. I mean, we're going to be closer to our own church than we are the church down the block, and that's supposed to be that way. But never should there be hostility between Christians because we are one family unit based on Christ's blood alone. In verse 17, he said, He came and preached peace to you who were far off. Who were far off? The Gentiles were far off. And peace to those who were near. Who were near? The Jews were near. Jesus preached be peace to both. I have peace for you, Jews. I have peace for you, Gentiles. I have peace for all of you. He wanted peace with God for every single one of his followers. So the message of the gospel of peace is all inviting. You know what our little tagline here at Wyoming Valley Church is? A place where all are welcome. 
right? That, that was a tagline before I got here. We just kept it because I like it. A place where all are welcome. Everyone is welcome to come and receive Jesus. Everyone is welcome to come find peace with God, regardless if you grew up religious or you grew up with a wicked, sinful lifestyle and you know it. Come and get peace with God through Jesus. In verse 18, he says, through him, once again, through who? Jesus. We both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. See, Jesus killed the hostility. He broke down the old door that separated Jews and Gentiles. Jesus knocked it down. And you know what else he did? He opened the door forever between God and man. We have access through the Spirit to our God. Janine and I, we have this, um, this TV with apps. Those are popular now. TVs have these apps. And our children want to watch cartoons. And back in the old day, we would just turn to the cartoon channel. Now you've got to like, find an app. and It's kind of annoying. But uh, we have these apps. And you go to Nick Jr. And you have to sign up. Nick Jr. has to like, correlate to your, your TV package. You've got to sign with your TV package. And then once you do, it says this phrase. Access granted. And you can watch your shows. When Jesus laid down his life, he gave us access permanently with God. Come to God at any time you want to because you have access through my blood. So I can go to God confidently. In fact, I'm commanded to come to God confidently. That's what Hebrews says. Come boldly to the throne of grace that you may receive mercy and help in your time of need. Why? Because you have access. Because of what Jesus does, done. Do you know that's why we pray in Jesus' name? That's why we say in Jesus' name when we pray. In Jesus' name. Because he is our access to God. I don't have access to God apart from Jesus. But in Jesus, I have full, 100% access. Praise the Lord. In verses 19 to 21, he says, We are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation on the apostles and the prophets. Once again, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Jesus is our cornerstone. Do you see a pattern here? Who? Jesus. Through Jesus. By Jesus. In Jesus. Because of Jesus. Jesus is our cornerstone. Because of what Jesus has done, we are now citizens of heaven along with the believing Jews. Citizens of heaven. Our foundation is on the gospel that Paul, the apostles, the prophets preached for generations. Christ is the cornerstone. As long as that is the foundation of our lives, we have access to God, we have fellowship with God, and we have eternal hope forever. We're secure. We're joined together as one family unit, and we're becoming what Paul says here, a holy temple for the Lord. God is making us into a holy temple for the Lord. We don't really appreciate the temple probably like the Jews did, but the temple was a really special place. It's where you met with God. It's where you met with God. It's where God would commune with his people. And now Paul is saying, based on what Jesus has done, we're the temple. We are. God meets with us right now here. He meets with us in church, but he also meets with me directly 
in my heart, in my soul, and when I gather with other Christians. And their fellow citizens, fellow citizens should have unity and like-mindedness, shouldn't we, to some degree? Like our country right now doesn't seem to have that unity, doesn't seem to be on the same page. We're fighting each other, and I have to imagine for our enemies that's a pretty cool thing to watch, to watch us implode and fight each other. But we need to understand this. We are not enemies with one another. We have the same enemies. Our enemy in the Christian circle is not one another. It is the devil. It is the flesh. It is sin. And we have Jesus Christ as our cornerstone. The last thing he says in verse 22, In him we also are being built together into a dwelling place, by, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See, God dwells within us now through his Holy Spirit. And therefore, God does have a temple on earth. Remember in the Old Testament when the temple got destroyed and they had to what? They had to rebuild it. They kept having to rebuild the temple because the temple was important. It's where God met with his people. Well, now the temple doesn't have to be rebuilt. Why? Because his church is the temple. His church is God's temple. This is where God meets with his people, right here. We say going to church. We say great church was great today. We say I'll see you at the church. The church is the temple of God. This is where he gathers and meets with us. Right now, he's meeting with us. These are not my words. These are God's words. He's meeting with his people because we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the temple doesn't have to be rebuilt. We are the temple. My soul, my heart is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Man, that's amazing to know, but it's also quite weighty to know. And being a temple for the Lord is a blessing, and we must see that as a blessing to not only be in God's family, but to be the primary representation of God to this world. See, I'm the temple. You're the temple. The church is the temple. And the world should be able to look on the temple of God and see God. That means my life matters. That means my decisions matter. That means how I live matters because the world can look at me and see something about God. There's no temple anymore. I am the temple. You are the temple. The church is the temple. This church, Wyoming Valley Church, needs to represent properly who God is. That's a really important responsibility. And that should motivate us once again to represent him properly. So do you notice a theme? We went very quickly there, and I apologize. We might backtrack a little bit as we go forward next Sunday. But have you noticed a theme here? In Christ, by Christ, through Christ, because of Christ, Christ is the cornerstone. We're going to skip past the recap and go to the application. The application is very simple. It follows our goals today. Is How are you treating your adoption into God's family? If you're not living in gratitude and thanksgiving, it means you don't understand how far you once were from God. This is a gift. This adoption is a gift. It's a true gift blessing from God, and it has to change our life. If the adoption you have of Jesus Christ hasn't changed your life, you either don't have it or you don't get it. You don't have it, which means it, doesn't, it hasn't impacted your heart. You don't have the circumcised heart. You don't have the redemption. You're still dead in your sins, and Jesus doesn't mean much to you. Or you've been around it long enough. You've become cold to the fact of what you once were before Jesus came to you. Dead in your sins, following the devil, a child of wrath like the rest of mankind, strangers and aliens to the promise of God, separated from our Lord Jesus. But not anymore. Not anymore if you believe in Jesus. And that has to change your life. So how are you treating your adoption? 
Number two, are you unifying with God's people? And I want, to, I want us to start with Wyoming Valley Church. I want, first of all, if we're going to unify with other Christians in this world, in this community, we need to be unified. Wyoming Valley Church needs to be unified. We need to be one family, helping each other, encouraging each other, never bickering, no hostility. We are together, regardless of how we see things. We are one family unit based on Christ. Are these people sitting in these chairs today your eternal brothers and sisters? And if they are, are you treating them like it? Do you pray for them? Do you encourage them? Are you loving them above your own needs? The eternal family in God is worth our investment. It is worth us investing in. Reach out to each other. Gather with each other. Pray for one another. This is our family forever. It's worth our investment. And number three, is Jesus your everything? That's a question I need to consider as well. Is Jesus your everything? Because that's what Paul is getting at. I'm not talking about how often you come to church or if you read your Bible occasionally or if you have a long-standing relationship with the Christian religion. But is Jesus your everything? If you understand what you were without Jesus and what you gain from being in Jesus, then Jesus will be your everything. He's your cornerstone. He holds you up. You're alive because Jesus is alive, because he loves you. Does your life prove that? Does your life prove that he's your cornerstone? Without Jesus, you're far from God. With Jesus, you're in God's family forever. Man, that needs to make a mark. That needs to make a mark upon our lives. Is Jesus your everything? We are one family in God because of Christ Wyoming Valley Church, let us live that way today by appreciating our adoption, by unifying with the church, and by giving Christ Jesus our all. Can we pray together? Father, thank you. I hope this text was represented properly. Thank you for what you've taught us today, that we are one family unit based on Jesus. Jesus, only Jesus. We thank you for what he has done for our sake on the cross. We thank you that you sacrificed your son in order to create one family unit, to have the Gentiles back together with you where we should have been all along. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cost you paid. Father, help us to be motivated by our adoption, be inspired by Christ's and your love for us, and make sure that we are unifying and on the same team for the same goal, which is striving for your glory and your will so that this world would see the temple of God and would be awed at the fact of how great you are, of how loving you are. Take us where we aren't yet, Father, and do it for the sake of your Son, because of all that he's given us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.